0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Business of PT podcast. I'll be your host, JT Moore. In this podcast, we will be interviewing successful physical therapists and learning about their stories in the field of PT. We will discuss a variety of topics such as entrepreneurship, careers, and pathways in physical therapy, as well as important characteristics in becoming a great PT. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you liked it, make sure to subscribe to get updates when new podcasts are released. Thanks everyone. Hello everybody. And welcome to this episode of the podcast today. Our guest is going to be Clint Borman, the partner and clinical director of Foothill sports medicine, physical therapy at their surprise location. We're grateful to have Clint on and Clint. Yeah. Thanks for being on here. We just like to, you could be able to introduce yourself to the audience and give a little background of yourself.
1: So my name is Clint Borman and uh, I'm a physical therapist. We're in a group practice here in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, I've been a physical therapist for 22 years. I was an athletic trainer prior to that for about five or six years. Um, My background's in athletic training, and then I transitioned to physical therapy. I've been in private practice uh, for the entire 21, 22 years, and I've owned my own practice now for 15 years. So that's kind of my background, and uh, I know JT, uh, we worked together at my clinic a couple of years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's honestly um, just background for all of the audience. That's kind of where I got introduced to physical therapy, and I'm super grateful for the opportunity because that kind of opened up uh, my eyes to PT and helped me get into the career today. So I'm very grateful for Clint to be able to give me that opportunity. Um, and with that, Clint, yeah, i just like to ask you, what got you into PT?
1: Yeah, so... Uh, I was a baseball player. I was an athlete all through high school and never really injured. Uh, I played college baseball at San Diego State. And uh, while I was there, I had some arm issues. And so I was sent off to the athletic training room to work with athletic trainers to get me back on the field as a pitcher. And to be honest, the very first time, the athletic trainer was amazing. She was uh, really good at what she did. She got me better in just a couple of weeks. And it was Less about the training part of getting back on the field, and more about that rehabilitation of what actually happened in my elbow and with my shoulder, and and some of the different techniques. So the rehab side versus the conditioning side really kind of got me um, thinking about uh, the rehab prospect versus just the an athletic training perspective, which is sometimes kind of uh, like first aid on the field, and then you're rehabbing the people getting back them on the field as well. But um, it's, it was really just about uh, the the whole rehab process and getting me back function. So I credit our athletic trainer at San Diego State University, Brenda.
0: Awesome. There you go. And so with that, so the athletic training got you interested in that. And then what kind of got you specifically to go to PT school?
1: Yeah. So as an athletic trainer, you come out and you can get a job at uh, high schools or facilities. And I actually got a a job at a clinic and a physical therapy clinic. And my Clint Borman to JT Moore was a lady named Lori Shepard. And she had a private practice in Chandler. Uh, And I was the athletic trainer on the floor doing some of a rehab protocol. And at the time, I honestly thought I was going to go to be a chiropractor. I I was going to graduate, taking graduate classes and trying to prep for my GREs and, and really still kind of find myself. And uh, the longer I was in the physical therapy office, the more I kind of loved the whole process of PT, not just the manipulations and not just the, the rehab process, but just the whole environment. And so Um, From that experience, I really kind of transitioned a little bit like yourself and transitioned into that rehab field and just really pursuing PT over another medical career. Okay,
0: that's awesome. Um, And so, yeah, with that, you said you had a certain amount of experience. And when did you decide to make that jump of being from a clinician to opening up your own practice? What motivated you to make that jump? And how long did it take and everything with that?
1: Yeah, so I was an athletic trainer in that clinic for four or five years. I went to PT school. I think I knew right at the beginning of PT school um, that I wanted to own a private practice. I was super fortunate to work with a couple of really high-level PTs in our world. Keith Coker, who is a, a super clinician with Major League Baseball at Physiotherapy a long time ago. Uh, Lori Shepherd had opened her practice. Um, and I had worked with Phil Tigell, who is, an, he, he's, uh, he's the number one PT. Literally, I think his license is number one um, in the state of Arizona. If it's not, it's like number three. Um, so i worked for phil down in tucson they're all private practitioners i love their autonomy Um, i loved to to be honest i love some of the cars they drove i love some of the stories they told about vacationing and how they were helping promote people from their practice and from their profession on to be their own private practitioners and so i think i was just heavily influenced by really high quality mentors at a very early stage when i was pretty influential and so private practice and owning my own practice was really the only avenue I ever pursued.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned about the importance of mentors. Just kind of just wanted to elaborate on that. How would you say that was so important for you? And what would you explain to young clinicians who are wanting to become entrepreneurs the value of a mentor?
1: Yeah, so mentoring is a key word right now. Um, everybody wants a mentor, and there's you know a hundred different ways to be a mentor. You could be a mentor from the YMCA as a big brother, or you could be a mentor in business. And what we've taken in our foothills sports medicine is just partnering up people with like minds. you have to have a mentor and someone wants to be mentee. But for me specifically, it was being around people that you wanted to be like. And so at that point, if you're showing interest and passion, in what they're doing and you're getting people to talk about what they do, which is what you're doing with me right now. And I love to talk. So the more you get these people to talk, the more influence they have on you. So when you're looking for a mentor, they've got to be able to share their experience they have to be able and willing to want to do it and they're going to see pretty quick they're going to they're going to size you up to see if you're really a mentee that they want to take on so those three mentors that I have I still have their phone numbers I still have their text messages and I still regularly contact them yearly and either say thank you or I'll ask questions or we'll meet up for coffee but for me that that mentoring is is huge and I think finding a mentor that you're in your practice initially is good for that local, I want to be the best clinician. And so I need a mentor for that. But then if you want to be a business owner five years or 10 years down the road, you need to find that person. And they need to be leading in their profession of what they're doing. And they need to be passionate about it. So I was actively always seeking out that next level person that I wanted to be, um, whether it was five years an early practitioner, you know, a a state representative practitioner, someone that owned one clinic versus someone that has owned 50 clinics. Um, And so kind of as I grew, my interest grew and my mentors change, which is perfectly okay. It doesn't mean you have to have a mentor, you know, one mentor for life. Um, you're gonna have different people in your life that are gonna help in different ways.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that, and that's that'd be very insightful. I feel like being able to learn from somebody who's already been there or been where you want to be, um, I think that's such a key aspect for us to be able to grow and get ahead of the learning curve in that. What would you say, I guess, just out of all the mentors, what has been one of the most valuable I would say valuable insights that a mentor has given you throughout your entrepreneur career?
1: I think initially, you know, they always talk about learn more business acumen and make sure that you're not just working on your clinical skill set, that you're working on your clinic. Um, and so, one we hear all the time is um, our three pillars is you want to be growing personally, you want to be growing professionally, and you want to be growing financially. And so, I really took that to heart to make sure that when I sit down every year and around Christmas time, around the first of the year, I'll take a couple days or I'll take a week off and I do all of my yearly goals for the clinic, but I also set my personal goals at that point. And so I I think it's, it's just key to understanding whatever, you know, you're trying to take in everything that people have taught you. And so that one has stuck with me is are you growing personally? Are you growing professionally? Are you growing financially? And then the second part is trust your gut. You know, uh, gut matters, and your and your personal rapport with people, um, it matters. And so, I think one of the biggest advice, uh, advices that I took, was get get your business in order financially. So, um, understand what what your business is going to look like at stage one, and stage two, and stage three. Uh, don't be short sighted. Make sure that you keep a good a blend of family and work. Uh, super super important. Um, and then make sure that you're still growing. Uh, I personally take a lot of pride in being, you know, the go-to person in our clinic. So just because you now become a business owner doesn't mean you stop being a clinician.
0: Yeah, that's, that is great insight. Thank you for that. So yeah, like thank you for explaining the importance of the mentors and how they've been able to help you in kind of that transition of different mentors throughout your career. And so with that, I kind of also wanted to understand a little bit about the model that you guys have there at Foothills with the partner And also having foothills as kind of the greater entity what does that do for you and why did you choose that model as compared to opening your own private practice
1: yeah so the first person i worked for one of my mentors she had her own private practice and she opened up to two or three different practices and i originally was a clinic director for one of her extensions and so i kind of quickly learned that she was spread pretty thin Um, she had one clinic then three clinics i was running one and a lot of things were getting missed. You kind of need an infrastructure a little bit is what I noticed re- really early is that we can't work a hundred hours a week all the time. The second person a mentor just did one clinic and he just was like in and out Burger. He did cheeseburgers and hamburgers and that was it. And he kind of kept everything just like in one spot. And I didn't see a lot of potential growth with other programs that you could do or referring out to friends and family or buddies or peers. Uh, and then Keith, uh, went into a group practice. And with that, you give up some, a little bit of autonomy, but not really. You're, you're getting a big package of human resources, marketing, accounting. Uh, you're getting different people that are out and canvassing the area and helping you. You're getting a bigger play in the market that you're in. So your voice gets heard a little bit more and your name gets spread a little bit. So I really liked Keith's process. I love the brotherhood and the sisterhood of reaching out to two or three of our other clinics Um, that also had a partner in that clinic uh, because you can kind of touch base and and, you know go through trials and tribulations of your business with that person as well but there's no competition because you're all out for the greater good of foothills Um, so bring it back into foothills is they offered that limited partnership model where you kind of buy into the system you're a limited partner meaning you're a less than a 50 percent partner but with that there, there's a whole package of things that, that you would have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on a private practice. Um, and so when I started actually looking at the numbers and some of the monetary improvement in lifestyle is, I'd rather have 30 or 40% of a huge company than 100% of one small company. And so ultimately that's why I chose Foothills.
0: That makes a lot of sense, I definitely feel like With us coming out we definitely have a limited amount of business skills and so being able to enter a company like that will help provide so many other additional tools and resources absolutely makes a lot of sense and so yeah could you explain a little bit about your clinic and kind of how you chose that setting and how your clinic is run kind of the layout everything
1: yeah so um we're in surprise arizona Uh, when i first came on with foothills i worked in the arrowhead location and part of our process is uh you chase the carrot a bit. You prove your worth. You have to be highly motivated, highly productive, uh, sports-minded. Uh, you have to be able to create business, go out and market people. And so when we chose the surprise location, it was in an up-and-coming location. It was just 2008. Um, a lot of young families. It was on the periphery of Phoenix, so I knew people had to come home at one point. And so I... I put that location there with the help of our marketing team and our CEO, we all kind of choose the space. And there were a couple different spaces I could have chose from North Phoenix to West Phoenix to South Phoenix. And so I chose the surprise location and location is really key. You've got to be busy. You've got to be in an area that's got a lot of cars, traffic driving by. So that's kind of the exterior of the clinic and why we chose to be there. Um, And just the inside from that first mentor that I worked with, he had a small clinic, 1800 square feet, a couple of rooms, and you're just limited on staff. You're limited on size of scope of practice. You're limited on a couple of things that I wanted to do. So I chose to build a 5,000 square foot facility where I knew I could grow to five or 10 different practitioners and have room to run and have room to, to do a 20 yard dash and, and just have space to grow. Uh, so it's, 5,000 square feet, uh, sports medicine based. It's got weight room type of equipment in it. It's got lots of tables. Um, We have all the modalities that we need. It's light, it's airy. We play music, you know, every day is different. So I want it to be high energy. I want it to be the center hub of information. I want it to be a place where people go, not just for physical therapy, but they want to go there because Clint went to a dentist somewhere and they want to know where Clint went to the dentist or my therapists jason bought a new car and he wanted to know where he got his best deal um or they needed a podiatrist somewhere and so i really wanted to be a trusted source and a center hub for any kind of information that reaches way past physical therapy and i think the only way that you grain uh, gained a kind of traction in your community is if you're part of the community you're not just this sole entity of a sports medicine or a physical therapist in that space you need to own everything. I, I want to. I want everybody to to touch and feel our clinic and kind of know what it could do for them. So that's kind of the inside. That's the energy I want in the clinic. That's what I bring to the clinic, and everybody that comes in the clinic. That's kind of what I expect from them.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I can definitely test. you lived
1: it. Yeah, you know. Yeah,
0: I can say that for sure. That I just being able to live there and 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 be in that climate. That's something that honestly, that's how I've kind of projected my future clinic to be is that is definitely was a family atmosphere that you felt like you were able to know everyone in the clinic. It wasn't kind of other ones that I had work in. It's kind of been almost kind of you're separated to your certain patients. And that one just kind of felt a lot more open and everyone was willing to help out everybody. And it was, yeah, it just felt more of a family-based thing. And I, I couldn't agree more how important that is. Um, you mentioned about kind of the location stuff. How did you go about learning that? And what are some skills that maybe clinicians that want to open up their own practice, what can they, what are some key insights that you learned in that process?
1: Yeah, so, so many things are trial and error. I really uh, leaned heavily on our CEO, Mike Bastin, originally when uh, I was the 11th clinic, we now have 37 clinics. um, And I'm a partner in several of those, but my home clinic is the surprise clinic, we're number 11. So Mike had already done it 10 times and he goes to a realtor, a realtor can pull up a demographic sheet, they can take a look at your base median income, they can look at households, they can look at age of households, they can look at the insurances that those households have. They can look at, you know, expendable cash that they go out to use on dining and food and gas and everything else. And you kind of put all that into a big mixture and say, this is kind of a hot hub for young people, old people, middle people, doesn't matter, spending money, they go outside of their homes. So there's quite a bit to it. And a realtor is a huge help, a commercial realtor, uh, really helped us through this process. Now we have on top of that uh, commercial realtors, we have a, a, a marketing team and a sales team that also know and say, hey, you're getting a lot of referrals from this doctor in this zip code, but we don't have a clinic in this zip code. So why don't we reach out and find out how close we can triangulate one clinic so that it doesn't really kind of steal business from another clinic. But it's able to draw its own business from a zip code of, of need, um, and so we really hi- heavily rely on our sales team and our marketing team, which is another reason you, you jump on a, a group practice like Foothills because for me to hire a sales and marketing professional like that is going to be six figures, and we have a department and I can send an email and say, hey, I'm looking in Buckeye. What's the best crossroad? And yeah. they can give me 50 options, and then. You get in your car and you drive around and you look at the space and you look at the options and you look at the traffic flow, you get your juju feel or whatever you're gonna get about that clinic that you're in. And and that's kind of how we do it.
0: Okay, yeah, that's great insight, honestly. I think that's a huge aspect of deciding where you're gonna open up the clinic and giving those key insights are really, really important, I think, to be able to know that. I guess another question I'd like to ask you is, what was probably the biggest challenge at first when you decided to become an entrepreneur? What was something that, you weren't expecting that was really a big hurdle?
1: Initially, I think it was what I expected as far as designing your clinic and opening the doors. That all was kind of expected and we were ready to do that. What we were never really ready for is when you open the doors, like no nobody's coming in just because, you know, JT or Clint just opened a clinic. Like you've got to go out and ground pound. You've got to meet your neighbors. You've got to hand out flyers and you really have to flip to a hundred percent salesman that has an occasional clinical question from somebody on the street, you draw them in, you have to give them a fantastic experience. You cannot fail one time with customer service. So if you think about that first interaction, you're a commercial real estate, you're a business guy, you're now a marketer, now you're a salesman, and now you're another customer service person, physical therapist isn't until like the eighth or the ninth step in your business. And so for everybody that thinks they're gonna be the biggest, baddest, best therapist out there. First of all, new grads aren't the biggest, baddest and best therapists. So it takes 10,000 hours, five, six, seven years is what I think you're really a seasoned clinician where you've seen everything. Um, And so I think the, the biggest eye opener is when you sit back after the first year, you realize even in a group practice, you're carrying 20 different hats and some you're gonna be good at and some you're not gonna be good at. And one of those that I was terrible at was hiring people. Funny, believe it or not, because JT's fantastic. He was the easiest hire ever. Um, I don't know if you actually got the job or if your dad got the job, but I'm pretty sure it was the sponsorship of Valley Vista Monsoons that helped open the door. Yeah, and then okay. JT sold himself in the in the clinic. But I would only hire people that would check box or check mark a certain like uh, objective thing, like they they scored a 99 out of 100 on this and they had kinesiology background or they you know they had all these different things that I thought were going to be a good employee and the one thing that makes an employee most important is they have to have a service heart they Have to, they like baristas and food servers and waitresses they already understand that it's not about them in that moment it's about somebody else and so we have a service heart I have a faith-based practice but that doesn't always mean service to others. Some people come into it, they don't have to be faith-based and they have a service heart and a service mind and they're out to help others. And so when you can hire people like that, you can train and teach everything else. Um, and I kind of did it the opposite initially. I was trying to look for the 99 out of 100 check mark boxes and you know, you need to hire personality and train the rest.
0: Okay, yeah, that's very insightful.
1: That's my guess- personal opinion that doesn't work with everything. Um, but that's been our recipe. That's part of our recipe.
0: All right. I wonder where I was in that process of of the hiring. But... Oh,
1: you were in the perfect. That was easy, slam dunk. Yeah, I already I already got good at it by then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm glad. But no, that's that's really important. I think that's that's something that I think sometimes we can get into like making sure everyone fits a certain box. And yeah, honestly, if they don't have a service mind, especially and I feel like in physical therapy, that's where it's at. Everyone's there. Because they want to get back, like obviously they have physical limitations, but they want to get back to a prior level of living that's so important. And to be able to be empathetic in that process and not just kind of treat them almost like mechanically is is so key, I think, to
1: be able to really yeah. Empath- the, the listening is so important, you know. Waiting when as a new grad or even just someone that's kind of getting traction is you really should be done with your evaluation. About eighty percent of it should be done when you're done asking questions. Like 80% of your process, you should already have a good idea. And then the rest of it is just some confirmation. So if you have a half an hour with someone and you're spending five minutes listening to them and 25 minutes trying to figure it out, you're probably on the wrong foot already. Personal opinion is if you continue to talk and listen, they're an electrician and they bend forward constantly and they're on a new job and now they're reaching overhead and they have neck pain. Well, and you keep going and going and going and all the different things that they've done in their life and get a whole picture of the whole person and treat the whole person, you're you're going to be much more successful with treating that person on that particular day than trying to fit them into your mold of how you practice. So
0: yeah, I mean, just like from my limited clinical experience that I've had a lot of times, I mean, from evals that we've had, they can give you such key information and they can honestly tell the story themselves that will help you almost understand what the exact reason is why they're having that pain or something like going on that aspect so I think that's really important yeah I think honestly another thing like I just like from my experience with you is how much besides listening to the patients how how much of a listening you ear you were for us as as your employees that was something that I always remember like being able to go and ask you questions as well Um, I think that's another really important thing that I learned from you to always have that open door kind of policy and ask questions with you at all times I felt like that was so big especially early on when I was trying to like learn exercises and just the basics of physical
1: therapy. Yeah, there's there's hierarchy on paper in the building, but I have like 28 employees in my clinic and I am just one of 28. I do not make that clinic click or run. I am the glue. I keep them out of the gutters. I have a little bit more experience so that we don't go backwards. We're always going forwards. I'm driving the mission statement, the vision statement, but I'm not the end all get all in that clinic. You know the people that are are the front office crew and the technicians because they are really the hands-on and the contact with patients are so key in those two roles so that advice is hire someone in the front office that is not going to scare people away or make them feel uncomfortable when they're in the clinic because they have five to six contacts before they even meet this big bad doctor of physical therapy you know because they called for a prescription they called for a verification of insurance then they called to schedule and then they showed up and they were given paperwork and how did that process go and then they did some more co-pays and co-collections and co-insurances and now they have to deal with finances so that patient is either super awesome and excited to see the therapist or they are pissed off about all the different things that just went wrong in the five different experiences that they've never even had a chance to meet dr wonderful so just remember that that Dr. Wonderful, again, is about step seven or step eight, just like being a new business owner is being a great physical therapist is like the eighth or the ninth most important thing to be as a business owner. So just remember that.
0: <laughs> no, that's that's really insightful, honestly. I think that that's important. I think sometimes we, we think about the clinician is the most important aspect, but yeah, you have to get to that step prior. and So being able to know those roles and do them well is so key. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah, another question I have for you is: I would say, what was the biggest thing that helped you kind of make that jump? Kind of, you said early on it was it was hard. You were working, you were pounding the streets. What made what kind of clicked that you felt that helped you get that next jump in entrepreneurship to help you become more successful?
1: Um, I mean, time time in the seat helps. It really makes a big difference. And experience. I think once we got the the clinical part down and I realized that I could treat anybody coming in the door and then realizing that there wasn't enough of me. Um, and so everybody that comes in, if you're promoting, come see Clint, come see Clint, come see Clint. Uh, there's only so many hours in the day and there's only so many patients. And so we were getting pretty popular. And at that point, I knew the business was going to go, but I had to hire some super quality people. And that's, you know, every book that you read and every cliche business management model that you read is you need to um, train people to replace yourself and you need to hire better people below you initially that will rise above you. And uh, and so I kind of, I got some great advice from mentors again and they said, you need to continually grow people. So the first year or two, I would suppress, Clint is the best, I have to do all the work all the accolades go to me, blah, blah, blah. And you quickly get overwhelmed. And I think clinicians that, that get to that point and they don't step back and reflect and say, I've got to grow this business from, from everybody around me, not just the center of me. Um, that was when it clicked for me. And it was right around, we had a therapist that kind of got in that mold in the local area. And he had a couple of clinics and he was overwhelmed. He reached out to me, I reached out to him. We figured out a plan to dissolve his business, bring him into my business um, and still allow him to flourish, bring all of his patients in. But when he did that, it kind of jumpstarted my business pretty quick, just volume wise. He was a pretty popular therapist in the area. I I call it, he he missed the right-hand turn or he missed the left-hand turn in the business model. And he got stuck in a couple of different business um, projects that he couldn't get out of. And so I helped him just work his way through that Brought him onto the fold, brought him underneath the Foothills model. And at that point I was like, holy crap, I just did that. And I don't even know that I did it. I got some help along the way, but business doubled within like three to six months. I go, you know what, this is a great model. I can do this over and over and over. And since then I've done that. times.
0: Wow, that is very smart and like really insightful to learn. I guess with that so what would you say was something that you wish you had learned sooner that like besides only that like that kind of came as you with time what was something else that you would wish you'd learned sooner that maybe could be learned without experience maybe with for aspiring clinicians right now something that they can learn or study at least to help them in the process
1: i think i mean i, I touched on it a little bit is it when you're if you, if you know you're going to be an entrepreneur and you know you want to open up your clinic and your practice is you need to hire a personality first. You can't just hire check mark boxes that they have a COMT and they have an MTC and they have an ATC and you're just hiring letters. If they don't fit your service model, then it's not, for me, it didn't work. Um, so knowing on early really who you are and what you are, which is hard because your your clinic morphs over time and the personality morphs with the people that are in it. Um, but having a business plan, like literally have a business plan, no, not just a, even if it's a sketch on a sheet of paper that says, these are the 10 things I want to be when I grow up as a business owner and stick with it, you'll change number one and number two and number five, and they'll mold. But, um, I think higher personality over, over, uh, you know, attributes at some time. If you truly want to grow as a practice in a business you need to get with a mentor outside of your circle that already has one or two or a big successful practice or has two practices, and you need to to start to coffee up and coffee house those people and take them out once a quarter and just kind of pick their brain. Don't sell yourself short at a year that in five years you'll be a practitioner, you know, practitioner that's owning your own practice. So I would say some new grads that are coming in and at one year they're like, I think I'm ready. I want to be a business owner. I think that's too soon. I, I, I have my own mold of people that have come under kind of my mentorship and now they own their own clinics. And one, you have to be a master clinician. And there's articles all in the APTA, it's about how to be an, a master clinician. Maybe you even read them in your critical um, thought process stuff. So there's, there's an article on APTA, it's about the master clinician. You have to be the best clinician because when you go from a group practice of 10 PTs, they're all new grads. And now you go to your own private practice the bullseye is on you and you're the only one to solve your own problems. And so if you don't have a five-year bucket of experience, you're going to get stuck with things that you don't know how to treat. And so I think the biggest deal is gain experience in as much residency and fellowships and con ed. So if your place that you're working at gives you 20 hours of con ed a year, take a hundred. If they offer 10 or 15, take 200. Like you cannot take too much con ed in your first five years. Be a master clinician and then find the right opportunity with a group practice or small capital practice. Um, Make sure that you have a draw in the market, meaning I have this doctor that's going to send me on day one, can you produce five new patients on day one? Can JT go out and say, I'm going to hit this banker and this doctor and this football coach and this barista and this car deal and they're all going to send me someone. And so you have to be marketable. And then once you start to you know, appreciate your employees, higher personality, make sure you're growing them immediately and don't suppress your people. So that's one of our biggest honors is I think with JT, you're one of 19 now in 15 years. Um, we have 19 technicians that are all physical therapists now, just out of my clinic. Um, and so, yeah, it was, we were kind of summing it up today. I was just letting the staff know what we were doing tonight. And we started counting up in the last 15 years in that clinic. We have 19 different people that are out in private practice or in group practice right now, just from our clinic. So like grow from within, give yourself, don't be the center of all attention.
0: Wow. Yeah. That, that's awesome yeah. to actually see yeah. that, to yeah. be able to see <laughs> how much growth has been happening. And- you have
1: three, I think right now this year that you, that you worked with.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I know current, like currently, currently, Kendy's a, a class ahead of me, and yeah, he's almost done right now. He just graduated actually this week, and then Trey Closter, yep. he was there, and he's about to be. I mean, if not now, he's. I mean, this this is he's in his last year, so that's super cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. We have three more leaving in May, and then I had two more before you, and just uh, two more in between you, also. So just probably really kind of crescendoed in the last five years. I probably had about ten or twelve. And we got that right recipe that's getting people that are hungry and motivated and passionate into school. So, Wow, yeah,
0: that, that is really cool to be able to see how much growth. And I love that you mentioned that like a couple of times throughout your, as you were speaking about not suppressing the people and really letting them grow and flourish. And I feel like that was something that I felt so comfortable doing um, at Foothills. And that's something I think is so key to be able to have a, an entrepreneur mindset to not think that it's all about you and to open that and to be able to help everyone else grow around you.
1: I think it's so important. And you're an athlete in high school too. And you know that you're, you're one of 11, like you're, you're not the only one, even though you're a big, bad linebacker and you're a tough guy out there, but um, you know, it's, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And that cliche runs true with your business. Absolutely. So if you sit back and take an inventory of all of your employees, once a year, once a quarter, you really need to find is your weakest link because of you as a leader or is your weakest link? just They're just in the wrong pocket right now. And so it's okay that they are weak, but don't let it affect your business. Help that person move out of your business and into another passionate role that they want to be. We did this with uh, a, a technician last year. Thought he wanted to go to PT school. Had just graduated college. Spent a year and a half with me. And you could tell he was on kind of a, a stagnant trend. He was not really contributing. He didn't look super happy. So we talked about it. You want to be an electrician. So we call up some business owners. I know an electrician. He found a friend of a friend, he's got an apprenticeship, and now he's an electrician. And we got him out of the clinic. He was suppressing the clinic a bit just because he wasn't really happy where he was. He was in the wrong hole in the pegboard. And so even if it's not about the profession, you want to make sure that people are growing for them. And that's just the right thing to do.
0: No, yeah, I think that's spot on. Being able to help people grow yeah, and even sometimes, I mean, there have been friends that I've had that are going through undergrad that were thinking on PT, and as they've kind of worked and seen it, or even got through classes, they've realized, yeah, maybe it's not the, the right mindset, and to be able yeah. to realize that is so key. But, Good. Yeah, um, honestly, yeah, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I just wanted to thank you for being able to come on here and, and share so much information. I really want to be able to like go back through this, and I hope everyone who's listening is able to go through this. I feel like there was a lot of kind of Key nuggets that were given to us to be able to learn. Um, I definitely learned through this. I had heard some of this stuff obviously before talking to Clint prior, but just getting that reminder of things and seeing the things that he's continued to learn um, throughout this time. like I think it's so important as, as we are aspiring clinicians to be able to enter the entrepreneurship side of PT to learn from people like Clint who have already been there and experience these things. So I want to thank you Clint for coming on and being able to share all of your insight.
1: My pleasure. I love it. And uh, you can send out my contact info, uh, you know, information for anybody that's uh, looking for some qualifiers or some additional questions. I'm always open.
0: Yeah, if you'd like, I mean, feel free. Like, if you want to right now, you can kind of feel free to share that with everybody um, or also, like, kind of give more information about your clinic if they want to kind of learn more yeah, about that. Yeah, so you
1: can jump on our website. My email is uh, borman at foothillsrehab.com, and you can also reach out to Clint borman at gmail.com. Uh, I apparently am the only Clint Borman ever because there's no ones or twos or threes behind my name. So that's awesome. Um, And just reach out with an email and ask a question and uh, I will get right back to you.
0: All right. Yeah. Thank you so much, Clint. And I hope everyone you enjoy this podcast and able to learn so much from it. Thanks everybody for listening to the podcast. I hope you liked that episode. If you did make sure to subscribe and also leave a review. Thanks everybody. And we'll see you next time.